The SpeedCafe.com podcast is brought to you by Morris, the official finance partner of Speed Cafe. Speed! 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 Speed Cafe! Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. Yeah. Hi there, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty. This is the Speed Cafe podcast. My guest this week is the most outspoken critic of supercars. Boost Mobile boss Peter Adderton never holds back on his opinions, and this interview certainly is no different. Speaking from his American base in Los Angeles before returning for the upcoming Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500, Adderton unleashes on what supercars is doing wrong. The outspoken entrepreneur is a bit of an enigma, supporting the sport with big backing while rigorously taking supercars to task. Peter Adderton, welcome to the Speed Cafe podcast. We're strapped in for a wild ride because you never hold back on what you think. But before you let loose on supercars, the feel-good story in the Bathurst 1000 was Richie Stanaway's redemption, well, which you effectively instigated by backing his wildcard return with Greg Murphy last year. Richie co-driving Shane Van Gisbergen to victory certainly vindicated your faith in him. Look, I think, Mark, you're right, but I think those who knew Richie um, knew what he was capable of. Um, and I've seen this in business and I've seen this in, in, in athletes as well as if you remove them from the environment, a poor environment, a negative environment, and you put them into a positive environment, which is exactly what Triple Eight did and exactly what we did with the wild card, you extract the best out of anybody. And um, and so what I was proud to see was Richie really come into his own, um, be the Richie we all knew. Um, and it's quite funny because I was watching the telecast of everybody basically patting Richie on the back. And... Where were they in like 2018, 2019? Like there was nobody there to give him support. And and to see them all praising him, both the commentators and some of the drivers up and down pit lane, kind of made my stomach churn a little bit um, because, you know, this guy got zero support from anyone other than really as a driver, Shane Van Gisberg back in 2019, basically had to go out of his way to tell people to leave him alone, to just let him go up do what he had to do. He was hounded by the the punters on um you know on the comment sections but the industry itself turned a blind eye to him and 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 that really just goes to show me and i think a lot of other people um that you know if you're a winner and you're doing work everybody loves you and if they can kick you they'll, they'll kick your way down so i was so happy to see uh richie and his dad embrace that moment because i think that was a lot of emotion coming out for richie that have been built up over all those years. And I think it just hit him because he's really not that kind of emotional guy. I think that hit him, Mark. Um, and I think it was everything, not just the winning of Bathurst, but all the things that led up to that, all the people that said things about him, all the teams that basically left him and didn't even try. And Mark, you would be surprised the amount of teams that I spoke to about giving Richard a ride recently um, who just didn't see what we saw. 
And now everyone's seen what we saw and now they're all patting Richie on the back. So for me, it was, it was good for Richie, good for his family, but also good to show those negative naysayers um, exactly what Richie was capable of. You kept the faith. You kept supporting him against everyone else, pretty much, as you pointed out. Why? What, what did you see in Richie that you felt meant he, ne he needed, deserved another chance? I saw an incredibly talented driver who was basically pushed out of a system. And, and you know my feelings towards supercars and the team. It is a club. And if you don't pat people on the back and have fun with Larko in the pits and have a bit of a joke with Scafey and, and all that, you're basically, you're out. And, and no one wants to help and support you. So I saw Richie almost as a, as a, uh, as a symbol for me to show how poorly supercars can treat somebody and, and the teams and, you know, even the media and the commentary team. And I really wanted to demonstrate that he was an incredible talent and that someone like me, who basically is obviously a challenger, who's someone who's a fighter, I wanted to use that because I knew his talent and I knew his mindset wasn't there. And I knew that the two um, year break that he took was the best thing he could do. As I said, I, I tell the story that when he left uh, in uh, Newcastle in 2019, I spoke to him. I said, Rich, it's not the last story. This is not the last chapter of the Richie Stanaway story. I'm going to make sure that you come back and you show everybody with the right mindset what you can do. And so I would look at Richie not just as a redemption, but also as a direct look in the face of every single supercar team and every supercar driver who never once stood up for Richie when Richie was down. And by the way, there's going to be another Richie Stanaway. <laughs> Trust me, it's how the industry works. So to me, and they won't always have someone like me there to support them and to be behind them and, and, and to push them and to put our own money into putting that wild card to show exactly um, who these guys are. And so that's why I look at a lot of times when young drivers make mistakes, they get into situations where they, you know, they need some guidance and they get pushed out. And again, unless you're slapping on the back and hanging out and high-fiving everybody and making jokes, um, you know, you can be a slow driver and make jokes and have fun and people just kind of hang, you just hang around, right? And, and, and so that's why for me, it was almost like redemption for Richie, but also to show the incumbents and the, and the club that you can't just discard people because they don't fit your mold. Well, indeed. He, he didn't fit into the the classic mould, as you suggest, and he's a bit of an enigma, but I always found him fascinating to talk to. He's not a conventional personality, but there's great depth to him, and it is just a mystery that at Tickford and GRM, his talent wasn't allowed to blossom, but clearly it's there, and... And his personality needs to be able to be, well, it'll never shine, but it should be accepted. Yeah, I mean, you think about Richie, when he came over from Europe, right? They're very professional teams in Europe. And the personality and the ability for you to be able to joke with a commentator really isn't that important. What What's important is your ability to be professional and, and drive. So Richie would come in, he'd put his helmet in, and then he'd go off and, and he'd sit in the transport and they'd go through all the data. And, and so... He was used to that experience. And so when he comes back to, to Australia with Tickford, 
And I, I think I heard the first time that he arrived that, that that his suit didn't fit, right? They didn't even bother to make the suit for him, right? And, and, and there was no spot for his helmet. And, and, and so I think that there was just a, a disconnect between what he was expecting, the level of professionalism from Europe. And so I think that was just a downward spiral for Richie. And, you know, he was in a bad place. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean he said this, you know, he came across obviously not achieving what he wanted to do in Europe and came into Australia. And so he already had an attitude that probably wasn't going to be the right attitude unless you had some strong team around him to help him shapeshift that. And I think what Greg and I did with the wild card is we shapeshifted the environment around Richie because Richie is a great guy. Like I, he is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, right? And he's nothing like the Richie Stanaway that people thought that they knew, right? And, you know, he's so determined to win that guy. I've never come across a driver who actually wants to win so badly and wants to beat everybody so badly. And Richie, it's in his nature. And, and someone like me who's been in business who's so competitive, I saw that in Richie and went, the guy just needs a platform. He just needs a team around him. And, and obviously we did that in one event with Wildcard with, with, at Bathurst, but Triple Eight, there was no better team. And when they rang me and said, hey, look, you know, we're thinking of putting Richie in the car. I was like, there's no better environment for Richie than a Triple Eight environment, which is all about winning. It's all about professionalism. And, and that's why he thrived in that team because that's what he was used to. He wasn't used to, you know, well, Chaz was in the Tickford car, so let's give Chaz all the good parts and you get like the worst, right? And then he wasn't used to going into Gary Rogers. It was one foot in, one foot out, who didn't invest in the cars and didn't really, you know, wasn't going to roll around for the next year. Obviously, he had the TCR plan. And so he was just in a bad environment. He gets in a good environment. And now he's, he's um, everyone's going, oh, oh, my God, look at him. And I'm saying, yeah, because that's what a true athlete, a world-class athlete needs is a kind of world-class team around him. Indeed, it's... Um... Possibly a bit of a disappointment. He didn't get the gig to replace SVG at Triple Eight, but he's got a full time well, deal. My if, if, if Roland was running that team, Richie be in that car. Um, I, I think they made a huge error, a huge mistake. Look, I love Will Brown. I think Will's one of the most talented drivers out there. But they've already got a Will Brown in 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 Brock. They've already got a young driver. Um, and what Richie would have brought was what he brought. So I think hindsight, they probably would have, have done that. But you know, at the end of the day, I think he's in a great team at Grove. I think obviously the Groves are putting huge amount of resources and, and money behind that team. And they've got a, you know, a good team around Richie. So I think that he'll, he'll do pretty well if, they, um, if they're not in a hobbled Mustang. And I, will you keep backing Richie, a, a you know, personal sponsorship and, as you do with Brody and James Courtney and others? Richie's a lifer. We'll back Richie for the rest of his entire career. We will back James Courtney, as I've said, for the rest of his entire career. And we'll do the same for um, for Brody. We are, and I think we, you know that even with uh, Chad Reed, I'm extremely loyal um, to ambassadors like those guys and athletes like those guys who've been very loyal to me. So 100%. Uh, we'll be backing those guys as long as they want us. Okay. So we're coming up to the Boost Mobile Gold, Gold Coast 500, which by every measure last year was a huge excess, success. And, and that was largely down to the uh, uh, huge promotion and activation you, you put behind it. It, it. 
it was a lesson in how to do it, really. Look, we that's what we're all about as a brand. We don't sit back and wait for the event to basically create the experience for us. Um, you know, the team at Booster are incredibly good at that. I don't know whether you noticed um, on the during the week we announced the World Supercross Championship in Melbourne. And, you know, we brought cars down there, had Geordie Degoey there, had bikes doing backflips. We were live on the Today Show, um, you know, with the premier kicking uh, AFL player uh, who's a Boost ambassador. Um, whatever we do, we do it well and we try to up it. And we're going to try again um, this year. I'm obviously coming down for it. Um, and we're going to go hopefully one step further and really start to put our stamp on this is how an event should be operated and run. And um, I just only hope that the content on the track can uh, can deliver the experience that we deliver off track. So what are you planning? How do you make it bigger and better? Without, giving out, without giving out too many um, secrets, because we've got some ideas we want to talk about as, as we get closer to it. Um, you know, it's a, it, again, it's about the experience, right? It's about you know, down in surface paradise, like people who may not be going to the circuit, but want to see something. It's about that. It's about the nightlife, the party, trying to keep the atmosphere going. It's about the center of the track. I mean, there's a lot of things that I would like to do. I obviously went to a NASCAR event this year with uh, Brody that we were sponsoring. And I saw a lot of things that NASCAR do very, very well that I think supercars could do. Um, and we would like to be able to start implementing those at the Boost Mobile 500 over the next, you know, uh, couple of uh, races that we do there. But this one's going to be, you know, obviously it's going to be bold and big um, and you'll start to see some things that we're working on really start to uh, to, to eventuate. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited um, about this event and I can't wait to get down there, to be honest. And it sounds like you're committed to backing the Gold Coast 500 for a, another year or two. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the team at Boost Australia, they make those decisions. Um you know, a lot of people, I'm, I'm fairly vocal on a lot of issues related to, to supercars. Um, Boost has its own operation, even though I own it, they can make their own decisions and, and they are more than welcome and always do overrule if I have a an idea or a thought. Um, I, I pay Jason and the team down there to operate that business and run that business. So, you know, that's their, that's their decision and their commitment. And if they think it's great for the Boost brand and for Boost customers, then we'll do it. And they obviously clearly see that Boost 500 um, on the Gold Coast, which is really our event, right? I love the Gold Coast. It's really what the Boost brand's all about. Um, they see the tremendous value in that and um, and I support them on it. Sounds like you still have some reservations about the on-track product. And I guess that involves the parody row that's been going on and it's continuing um, with trying to get the Mustang up to the Camaro level. I'm sure you have some thoughts on all that. Well, I do. I mean, you know, whenever you have a, a problem, right, it's really important that everybody agrees that you have a problem. And and it seems to me that not everybody agrees that there's a problem with the Mustang. And a classic example of, you know, Shane saying how fast they were down the straight and then um, Scotty Pye, you know, the Triple the Eight driver for next year, come out and say exactly the same thing. It was almost like Roland's a Yoda. And he basically is now putting thoughts into the minds of his drivers to come out and say this stuff. And so I think there's a lot of confusion around, around that from the fans' perspective. But anyone with a brain that's a you know an eye that's attached to a brain will quickly tell you that the cars aren't even and they aren't equal. And I think what you've got to do is accept that you have a problem and say, hey, look. And so if I was supercars, I'd be coming out going, yeah, there is a problem. We need to fix it and we will get it fixed. 
right? And acknowledge that there's a problem. The other issue is that it's run by a committee and, and, and the committee is basically made up of both forward and Camaro team. So if you get a chance as a Camaro team to hobble your competitor and not help them, then it's in your best interest to do that. And so I think the whole thing is basically broken and there's an inability for anyone to actually make a decision that's in the best interest of the content and the fans, right? And, and, and so it's almost like you need a dictator who comes in and says, this isn't good enough. There's clearly a problem. Let's fix it. But you just got two sides of the camp who don't think there's Mike Camaras, I think there's a problem. And the forwards think there's a problem. And the whole world knows they're a problem. And we're sitting back going, well, who's running this ship, right? Who's making the decisions? Like, where's the CEO of supercars coming out and going, yeah, we're going to get this fixed. This is not acceptable. Pull the guys behind the wool shed and tell the Camaro teams and the forward teams, we don't care what you say, this is what we're doing because we're going to make this sport great and we're going to make it better and we're going to make the, you know, we're going to make it entertaining. And it's just none of that. It's just like finger pointing and all oh, everything's okay. The forwards are fast down the straights and we can't catch them. And I'm sitting there going, but you don't think we can see? <laughs> yeah, well, communication so, is very poor and traditionally supercars never admits they're wrong. But that's the other issue. Like, I admit I'm wrong all the time. I mean, to our team and to even customers, if we make a mistake, it's like, yeah, it's not good enough. Like, just admit that it didn't work, that Gen 3 didn't work the way you wanted it to go. But that doesn't mean that it's fatal. It's only fatal when you accept when you don't accept you have a problem, that's when it becomes fatal. It's not fatal when you go, yeah, we have an issue. Now let's fix this and let us make the decisions. Camaro team sit in your corner, forward teams, you sit in their corner. We will make the decision and you both will accept it because all we want is a fair fight between the two marks. That's it. Let it be a driver battle and, and, and let it be a team battle. But you can't have the obvious fighting that's going on when you've got the greatest race in, a, in the world, Bathurst, and you got forward base coming out saying, we're not going to win. We're just turning up because we want to turn up for our fans. I mean, they degraded the race and it's not because they did it just to do it to the race. They did it to let the world know that they can't win that race, right? And don't, don't look at us as somebody who can't do a job that our sponsors have paid us to do. We're hobbled. They just want a fair fight. And I'm okay with that. But someone's going to have to make that call, Mark, because if it if it's left to a commission and, and a bunch of different people without somebody actually making a decision, it will be fatal. Gen 3 will be fatal. Okay, from where you sit, you're a well-established critic of supercars. What needs to be done to fix the problems and to make this sport as big as it can be? You know, Mark, the first thing, as I said, accept the problem accept the issues, right? Look at them and say, okay, this is what it is. And, and, and you know, people won't like me saying this, but there, there is no real leadership. You've got race, the commission, the supercars board, the race board, the management team. I mean, you've got all these entities that somehow have some level of control over the what supercars does. And so until you can take all that away, and you remember, we were looking at buying um, supercars. And one of the biggest things, and I think one of the reasons why I, I got knocked out was I just told, you know, who Roland, who was obviously representing the teams, 
that the teams could have zero to do with supercars going forward, right? Zero. That it needs to be operated and run like a real business. If you try to run a, a any corporation without a CEO who has authority and power to make decisions, by the way, answers to a board, and if he, if they, he or she messes up, they get fired. Um, right now, no one gets fired because no one actually knows whose problem it is. Is it Shane's? Is it Scafies? Is it the commissions? Is it Barclays? It's like, I ask you, who do you lay the blame on for where we are today? You, you couldn't tell me. There'd be like five fingers going five different ways. It's got to be one finger going at one person and they're responsible. And so I would fix that. The other thing is they've got to re-engage with the fans. Um, the digital assets they just put up, the website and the new app are horrible. Like it's one, it's one of the worst experiences. I mean, I've got one of the largest app development businesses in the world worth billions, right? That's all I do. It, it, it is horrible. It is poor compared to the one that they had before. And so I sit back and go, there are so many things that these guys could fix. It, but it all starts with the content. We're in a content business. They are in a content business. They provide content to consumers. The content is poor. They need to fix that and fix that fast. Um, and you'll always have your loyal base, Mark, that'll turn up, you know, they rave about how many people they had at Bathurst on the weekend. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Fans love to go up there and hang out, camp, drink, have a good time and occasionally hear a car go around. Right. Um, I'm sitting back going, you can't take them for granted. Right. You can't take fans for granted. And that's what they're doing. They're taking them for granted. And eventually fans, the older ones who are diehard, will basically die. And then the new pop, new ones coming through just won't be there. And so I think that that's something I'd be working on, getting the content right, getting the future of the sport right, and then obviously making sure that the fans realise they're not being uh, taken for granted. Many would suggest, Peter, that a lot of your criticism is just sour grapes because your consortium missed out on buying supercars. It, it went to, to race. But, I mean... We can just hear you're passionate and you want this sport to succeed. Mark, I've loved this sport since I was five years old and I sat watching it with my dad. My dad was motor mechanic, as you know. You know the history that I've had in, this, in, in motorsport going all the way back to go-karts and, and super touring and all the way through. Um, we involved did the, you know, the, uh, I think, 87 AMP Bathurst when it went to super touring and, and actually brought Roland out. Um with his triple eight team for the first time to Bathurst. This is not for me sour grapes because I wasn't lucky enough to overpay for something that it wasn't worth, right? Which was what the other guys did. This is, I mean, the business of motorsport is a passion and a love of mine. And, and, and so I am a vocal critic, but I'd like to consider myself constructive, right? Constructive in trying to make the sport better not just shooting it for the sake of shooting at it, right? Because I'm bitter. I'm not bitter. I would love to have a team in the sport. Even though I couldn't buy it, I tried to get a team, Mark, and they wouldn't let me. So... And, yeah, well, just, that's interesting, Peter. Let's delve into that. Why couldn't you buy a team's racing charter? Why, why wouldn't they let you in? Because they didn't want that many... <laughs> The field, you know, one of the things that we did, which I'm sure that the race guys are probably not happy with, is when we did our consortium bid, 
we came up with the idea of giving the teams the money for the charters, right? That guaranteed amount of money. And and, and that wasn't the original bid that um, Barclay and his team um, were planning to do. And so Tim Miles, who's an extremely successful investment banker, took our idea and married it with theirs. And we knew that commercially it couldn't work together, but he somehow convinced them to do it. And so there's a cost to the race, right, to be able to bring in another charter. So now they've taken them away. The other thing is the teams have to agree. And everyone's like, well, why didn't you buy, um, you know, Techno when um, when Jonathan Webb was selling it? Well, because well, it wasn't good, available. Well, it good, wasn't question. Available. Why do, good question. Why didn't you just buy a team? Because it wasn't available. I mean, this concept of why don't you just buy a team, right? Well, first of all, it wasn't available. Peter Zubas basically took it back because he owned the cars and everything else. So to me, it was more of a, um, a repossession than it was a sale. And then they're like, well, what about Dick Johnson got sold? I'm like, yeah, but we don't want the Shell sponsorship, right? We want Boost Mobile Racing. So why don't you just, and by the way, all, all I was doing was just taking two cars that are already on the grid. I'm like, why don't you let me put two new cars on the grid? You know, there are a lot of young drivers who have to pay for their rides, right? I'm sitting there going, I don't want anyone to pay for my ride. And I made this, I, I told this story about Brock Feeney when he first went into the Mustang. They rang me up and they said, oh, we've raised, you know, $50,000, $100,000 to put Brock in the Mustang. Can we go in with James Courtney? And I said, what are you talking about? I think it was his dad. I said, I don't want his money. I'll pay him to drive. So what's happened is no, no doubt that the teams have blocked us. They absolutely have blocked us. Won't approve us getting it. I couldn't even get a wild card because the only way I can do a wild card, Mark, is I have to get a team, one of the existing teams, to do it for me. Well, we started talking to teams and suddenly it's like the pricing was like to do the Gold Coast round. The pricing was twice what it cost me to do Bathurst. They just were like, well, we'll do it if you give us this much money. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. So when you've got the teams that control who get, they get to race against, do you really think that they want us in there? I mean, look what we did with Richie, right? Imagine if Richie was in one of our triple eight cars. Right? Look what we did with Brody. Imagine if Brody was in one of our triple eight cars. Right? These guys don't want us in there. Like Boost would raise the bar so high, it would make these guys look incredibly uh, you know, uh, you know, unprofessional. I mean, there's only really two or three professional teams that look professional up and down pit lane anyway. And so I know why they didn't want to let us in. It was just, and I'm also obviously very vocal. Um, and I know how much Ryan Walkershaw loves the limelight, so I'm pretty sure he didn't want to have a competitor there because he's really got none other up and down pit lane. Um, I mean, it, it, Barry's probably the only other personality up and down pit lane that's interesting to listen to. Um, the rest are pre pretty much just mundane um, when they talk. So what's the future for you in terms of a possible team ownership? Have you just given up on that ambition or are you still going to try and pursue it? No, I, I'm hoping at some point that race and supercars finally acknowledge that what they have isn't working and that to expand the teams. And by the way, as you know, Mark, I didn't even want money. I didn't even want the charter money. I said, don't give it to me for two years. Let, let me earn it. Um, until they realized that you need to have more cars, that we would add real value, that it's an entertainment sport. Um, but I'm going to keep chipping away. Um, you know me, Mark. 
I never quit at anything I do ever. I will continue. You don't build businesses. You know, I've got two multi-billion dollar businesses now. You don't build those by quitting when it gets hard. Um, the mountain's steep. The, cl the clouds are dark. But I can tell you, I'm going to come out the other side. We will have a team. Um, I believe that in my heart of hearts. We will have a team. And uh, and I think that, um, you know, supercars eventually will see the light and let us in. Well, it's going to be... An interesting lead up to all of that, I'm sure. Um, just you touched. Well, you mentioned race. Mentioned race. They've got big ambitions to take supercars overseas again. You know, Singapore Grand Prix support races, even talk of racing in America. Is that realistic? You know, Mike. To be fair to Barclay and Shane and the guys at race, that's what they were sold, right? So when. Tim was running around with the supercars and Sean, and they were selling it to us. We were all sold on the Gen 3, which has obviously been a disaster. That's not something that race did or that, uh, that Barclay was involved in. So, um, And now he obviously gets blamed for that. Um, and the second was the international expansion. And so I think what Barclay is doing, and you know, he hasn't really been around the sport that long, he's basically taking what he was sold and then he convinced investors to come in and, and he's just trying to execute against what he thought he bought. And now suddenly everyone's turning against him and going, so, you know, I actually like Barclay. And I think that he's sitting around going, well, hang on. You know, you, you told me I could do this. You sold it on the concept of international growth of the sport that everyone would want these cars in every country. And I go do it. And then suddenly the whole industry turns against me, in particular, the people that sold me this business. Um, look, it's not a sport that's going to go international, right? It's just not. I mean, and by the way, I exclude New Zealand because obviously New Zealand's a very important part. It's just not a sport that's going to get there. I mean, you've got to get yourself right at home. We should have 15 races at home, at least 15 races in Australia. Um, we should be doing obviously at least two races in New Zealand. And I would focus my energy and effort there and not so much on, you know, being a, uh, a support class, you know, being the formula forward for... Uh, or the Aussie cars for uh, for Formula One. All right. Um, you sort of semi-alluded to this much earlier on, but your sometime nemesis, Roland Dane, recently has been very critical about the TV commentary in supercars. What do you make of it? Well, I've been critical as well. It's time for a change, right? It's time for a change. You know, I always say to people... Um, I'm a CEO of a company and like I was at Boost, I had a use by date, right? At some point you get to a point where you just can't stay around because you're basically adding no more value or you're not changing or making it better. Um, it's time for a change in the commentary box. Um, it's boring. It's the same old, same old. There's nothing exciting. And I think we've got to make a change. Um, and I think the supercars guys have got to make that change if they want to bring in a new audience and make it more exciting. I mean, you listen to the MotoGP guys and they call a race. And when they call a race, it can be the most boringest race in the world, but you're on the edge of your seat and you don't even know why. You're like, God, it's like, what's happening? Or nothing. These guys take an extremely exciting part of the race and make you wonder, is this really a race, right? And so I think it's time for a change. And I think, you know, Mark and Neil, you know, I've been critical of those guys. And by the way, I've been pushed out of companies as well. So I'm not saying that, you know, what I'm saying against them, it's just, they've got to acknowledge also that it's time for a change. Um, and so, 
I just sit back and go, it, it, it's one of those things where they've done it long enough. It's fresh. No, sorry, it's stale and it needs to be fresh. And I think a change in the box would make a uh, a very big difference. Or someone sits with Mark and Neil, and I saw a video clip the other day of Scafey when he was getting really emotional about something. And I'm like, well, where's that Scafe? Right? Where, where's he on commentary? Right? And so it's just, it's just very hard when you're conflicted. You're trying to stay on the board, trying to keep race happy. You're an equity holder. You don't want to slam anybody. It's just, you're just so conflicted and you hear that in his voice. So I think it's, it is time for a change and hopefully supercars will do that. And I think they'll see a, a massive uptake in interest again. Clearly lots of change needed to move this whole thing forward. Peter Adderton, thank you for your time and insight. Uh, provocative as ever. And we certainly look forward to the Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500 coming right up. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate the time. No sitting on the fence in all of that. Well, that's it for now. I'll be back late on Monday with all the latest breaking news on Speed Cafe Newscast. We'll also reveal the new editorial boss of Speed Cafe a multi-award winner who will take us to the next level of informed, news-breaking reporting. We're excited, and you will be too. In the meantime, full coverage of all the major racing action around the world at speedcafe.com. I'm Mark Fogarty. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 